Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Joining me now to break down all the market action. How was the weekend, Ryan Huang? Pretty good, Michelle. Just a restful one. How was yours? Fantastic. I'm just back from a meal uh, over the weekend, which was a mix of Japanese and Italian on one plate. A fusion restaurant? Yeah, it was so good. What were some of the dishes you had? Well, there's like 85 Japanese wagyu done with uh, grilled up. Like a steak. Wow. Okay, um, okay, okay. <laughs> with, with some sort of Japanese sauce. And oysters from Hokkaido. Nice, nice. That's keeping me salivating. Spaghetti with sea urchin. Okay, let's start the morning away from food. You know you're in Singapore when you hear people talk about food with food nuts here. We begin this morning in the world of banking and more specifically with Southeast Asia's largest bank, DBS, which has just released its third quarter numbers. Now, DBS netted $2.6 billion in the three months from July to September. That is 18% higher than a year ago and it brings DBS's nine-month total to a record level just a bit shy of $8 billion. So what is powering DBS's profits? Yeah, in short, it's what's been powering banks for quite some time. Higher net interest margins. And to give you an idea, we are looking at net interest margins for the group at 2.19%. So that's up from the prior quarter at 2.16%. So pretty good news, you might think. But there is a bit of a caveat here. Higher rates means people like you and me companies, businesses have to pay higher borrowing rates as well. So that's actually put off some customers from doing so. So if you look at a segment of housing and consumer loans, they were actually lower by about 1%. So a not so bright spot for DBS. The bright spot came from wealth management as well as card fees. So you've got that part of the equation offsetting some of the weakness elsewhere. So going forward, a couple of things on their cards. Uh, of course, the digital disruptions we've been reporting about in the past few weeks and months, uh, they actually made a special mention in, it in their business update for the third quarter. So they, of course, as you imagine, talked about how they are going to focus more, invest more to shore up the side of um, the side of things to strengthen the uh, resilience of their systems. And of course, they have to because in six months' time, MES is going to review what's been done in order to lift the current restrictions around acquisitions, around IT upgrades. So they have to really look at this very closely. If we look forward, Ryan, what is DBS forecasting for the year ahead? Yeah, it's a bit of a more measured outlook ahead because of a couple of things. One is the macro headwinds. Uh, you've got, of course, geopolitics, what's happening in the Middle East, in Ukraine, and maybe even more to come when you look at all the tensions playing out. So that's one. Uh, you've got a bit of weakness still playing out in China. That's another factor they are going to be watching very closely to see when that's going to turn around. Um, of course, the rates are not going to stay high forever. Already, you've got some talk about rates coming down under pressure, perhaps in the middle of the year. If you look at what the markets are pricing in, there are some increasing expectations that we could actually see a rate cut by the Federal Reserve in June. So that's going to be one to watch out for in terms of implications and whether the current quarter that we're seeing right now for DBS is peak rate, so to speak. So that's going to be a couple of headwinds for them to navigate.
Still a lot of uncertainty, so DBS is making a cautious forecast for the year ahead. It expects to continue to benefit from high interest rates, but notes that the economic uncertainty could affect the size of its loan books. In the meantime, if we look at how DBS shares are performing, they gained a bit of ground last week, rising half a percent, but they are still down nearly 3% over the past quarter. In other banking news, we've talked a fair amount recently about DBS's digital outages. There have been several this year. This past week, the Monetary Authority of Singapore told DBS it has to put any new acquisitions on hold and cannot reduce the size of its ATM or branch networks for at least six months while it gets its digital house in order. Well, over the weekend, another local bank had trouble with its mobile banking and internet services. Who is it, Ryan? Well... You only have three banks in Singapore. So it was UOB joining the bandwagon of bad luck. Mm -mm. So they had customers complaining on their social media channels talking about intermittent access to mobile banking and internet banking services on Sun or rather on Saturday. So this is a bit curious to see so many disruptions happening in such a short span of time. So no clear reason being reported yet why this happened. Uh, what we have from reports is there was intermittent connectivity issues. So this is um, going to be one that UOB is going to be looking very closely and I think regulators are going to be looking very closely as well to see if they need to step in. Of course, um, UOB is not as large as DBS, mm -hmm. so the impact or at least the complaints were not as widespread as what DBS went through. If you take a look, take a step back though, the UOB outage is the third disruption in a month to hit a Singapore financial institution. On Friday, Nets suffered a one-hour outage that affected its e-Nets and QR payments. In the meantime, UOB is adding a new pillar to its credit card business, entertainment. Makes a lot of sense, right? Given the success that UOB found in partnering up with Taylor Swift after announcing Swift's fans could order pre concert tickets. You remember uh, those UOB card applications spiked by 45%. So how does UOB plan to follow up on this? Yeah, they will want to play Telesis Shake It Off right now. <laughs> so lots to shake off, but perhaps lots to look forward to. So of course, if you were a Swifty, the UOB card would be the one to go to to get the early access to sales and they figured out this is the way to get more customers so they had at Sheeran as well this year and they are looking at two partnerships yearly to ride on this what they dub concert fever oh. so not a surprise if it works why not keep doing it so that's <laughs> going to be I think a very interesting strategy because when you think about it it's not just people um, jumping on the UOB credit card membership it's then spending on the tickets, spending on stuff when it comes to Singapore. Remember, a lot of people come to Singapore for the concerts. So mm. a lot of foreign spending, a lot of uh, foreign members will be coming here to spend on hotels, shopping and whatnot. And of course, if you, like me, have a UOB card, then the inclination is for you to use it um, down the road, not just during the concert month, but you know, the rest of the year. So that's what's been driving UOB's 
cut fees, actually. If you look at the fees, they grew 89% mm. for the third quarter to $104 million. So look at next year, we might be in for more UOB special access concerts. I'm a UOB holder. Mm. Do you see me with a Taylor Swift ticket? So <laughs> it gives you a chance, but not no, a show win. So yeah. what's going to be on your wish list next year, Michelle? Um, Ed Sheeran. Yeah, sure. And so I'll look just have to wait for it in your Christmas stocking if you've been no nice. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ryan. UOB shares finished up two and a half percent last week, despite the strong performance of its credit card division and those Taylor Swift related purchases. UOB shares are a negative territory for the year, down nearly ten percent. In fact, we'll have more insight into how the local banks are doing when OCBC reports on Friday. Next up, we head down to Shenton Way. We're taking a look at institutional buying and directed deals. So who's buying shares in their own companies? Why might they be doing so? Let's start with Wingtai Holdings, a company whose property portfolio includes the M at Middle Road and Winsland House, one and two on Orchard. Wingtai also invests in hotels and service apartments and its retail portfolio includes Uniqlo, G2000, Mango as well. So a very interesting, diverse business. And the company Chairman Cheng Wai Kyung has been on a buying spree. What's the latest here? Yeah, so you've got an insider buying into Wintai. So this has saw uh, this has seen um, a bit of buying to bring the um, portfolio under Cheng's interest to sixty one. 0.33% up from 61.27%. So the backdrop is Wing Tai Chairman Managing Director continue to add on to his interest uh, as the company goes through some struggles in the past few quarters. So it's been putting some pressure on the stock price. So perhaps he does feel that there is value right now in getting into it at current levels and to beef up his stake in the company. So putting his money where his mouth is. Indeed. Our next stock in focus this morning, I just want to add on that despite Cheng's purchases, back to Wingtai, Wingtai shares remain in the red. They're actually down 5 plus percent over the past week and have been down more than 11 percent since January. All right, let's switch to another stock in focus. This morning, I'm looking at a company. It uses artificial intelligence to grade diamonds. It's called Serene. It is the first Israeli company to list on the Singapore exchange. Serene is also listed in Tel Aviv. So when did Sarin start buying back its own shares, right? Yeah, pretty much every week since mid-September, it's been increasing its stake in the company. And worth noting, very similar story to Wingtai, where share prices have been under pressure. Uh, Sarin's shares have been down 9.4% in the past month. So perhaps Sarin's Shareholders feel that there is some value there. Uh, at least um, those who are the company buying back shares mm-hmm. feel that there is a value to pick up the stock at where prices are right now. Sarin's stock rallied a little last week, rising 1.7%, but it's still down more than 10% over the past month and 30% if you look at the past quarter. A reminder to listeners, we follow director deals and institutional buying. It's often a sign that a company and the people who work there think that the stock presents good value. They're not always right 
It's definitely worth tracking, though. Next up on our corporate earnings watch, you know, Ryan, over the weekend, I was gazing out at the water at all the container ships out there. They're not quite as many as last year. And when I started to feel hungry, as I always do, I picked up a burger on my way home to watch a movie. But it actually turns out the channel I wanted to watch is not available in Singapore, at least not without a VPN. Mm. So can you guess who our three companies in focus are? This morning, the three industries are shipping, fast food, and streaming media. And the companies are Musk Restaurant Brands International, they own Burger King, by the way, and Paramount Global. All right, let's start with Musk, which is often seen as a, a bellwether for global trade. So how's Musk performing? Yeah, from your sea view penthouse, it does look like perhaps <laughs> uh, they are not going through a very good time right now. So Musk in the news for the wrong reasons because they are cutting jobs. More than 10,000 people so as you've pointed out, it's a bit of a barometer for what's going on elsewhere, right? If you don't ship stuff, most doesn't have business. And that is what's going on right now. The economy going through a bit of a sluggish time right now. And this is just being reflected in how much trade is going on, how many mm. ships are needed to move things. So Musk is reflecting that with cutting jobs. And the third quarter revenue for Musk was reflecting that drop as well, down uh, to 12.1 billion from 22.8 billion last year. So that was a third quarter revenue. Demand for shipping is on the decline. So are Musk shares. They fell 16% on Friday. They're down 35% since the beginning of the year. Let's turn next to fast food. And the company that owns Burger King, Popeyes and Tim Hortons, they're called Restaurant Brands International. Frankly, it's not doing as well as McDonald's. What's the latest? Yeah, the latest is cost of living pressures, just adding to the pain for some of these restaurants. So what's happening here is you've got budgets of you know, people like you and me, household budgets, just getting weaker as we see People face pressures from all fronts. You know, costs of things are going up. So they are thinking, maybe I should cut back on eating out. Mm. Especially on the, I guess, pricier places. And that means fast food restaurants, some of the high-end restaurants as well. So the likes of Burger King are seeing people not eat there anymore as much. So they are, in some places, turning to home-cooked meals or just eating less. So the store traffic for many of these US restaurants are starting to uh, see a bit of reflection there. Burger King same-store sales grew more than 7% in the last quarter. That's below expectations. And RBI's net income dropped 30%. RBI shares, meanwhile, they've gained ground over recent weeks. But they are down more than 7% over the past three months. Now, our third company in focus this morning is Paramount Global. So they have a portfolio of media brands that includes CBS, Comedy Central, MTV, and Paramount stock enjoyed its best performance on Friday in more than three years. Paramount shares jumped nearly 15% on Friday, up nearly 30% over the past week. So why are investors so excited about Paramount? Yeah, it is quite interesting to see Paramount turning things around. So mm. you've got a couple of things going for Paramount, which is more subscribers and narrower losses. So what's happening here is, is streaming business which includes Paramount Plus and Pluto TV. Mm -hmm. uh, they reported 38% growth in revenue and narrower losses. And Paramount Plus posted a total of 
million subscribers. So that was, I think, the bright spot for the Paramount Group. So all in, the stock is up more than 28% in the past week. Could have had one more subscriber, but every tr- time I try to subscribe through Apple TV, I get rejected. Have you Have you tried? I already have too many streaming platforms. What is going to be the draw for you when you go on Paramount Plus? I can't remember. There's a series that I want to attend, uh, I want to watch or a movie or something like that. But I've never been able to, uh, you know, get that here in Singapore, Paramount Plus. So in any case, investors are excited about the fact that people are subscribing, more subscribing to the service, Mm. about 2.7 million now. And that Paramount Plus's streaming losses are narrowing. All right, Ryan, we've talked about shipping, fast food, streaming media. What's your takeaway from this latest batch of corporate news? Yeah, it does show that you've got more companies just being hurt by priorities. People Mm. facing cost of living pressures are starting to make decisions on what's important for them. And in some places, it's not playing out for the likes of Burger King restaurant owner, RBI. So that's seeing some people cut back on eating out. Um, when it comes to streaming, I suppose they were to make their choices. Which streaming platform to stick with? Which ones to cut? So perhaps those with a better value proposition, like Paramount, they've come out to say, we are not going to have any crackdowns on password sharing. So maybe people might like that and stick with Paramount. So that's something that is the... Uh, I guess underlying trend here, cost of living pressures, uh, of course, being reflected as well with uh, the Musk news, people starting to cut back on shopping, perhaps businesses also cutting back on inventory. So you've got that dynamic in the wave of earnings uh, this round. Now, I want to zoom out to take a look at broader markets. Stocks and bonds rallied on Friday amid the fresh data about the health of the U.S. economy. Bond yields fell and the stocks enjoyed their best week of the year. The Nasdaq jumped 6.6%. Small cap stocks did even better. The Russell 2000 rose 7.5%. The Dow and the S&P 500 both finished up more than 5%. So I want to take a look forward, Ryan. What's on your radar for the week ahead? Well, it's actually quite a quiet week on the economic data front. But in terms of earnings, uh, a couple of watch out for that will include the likes of some of the banks. Mm -hmm. And this will, of course, be the big one in Singapore. We've got DBS this morning. And on Friday, we've got OCBC. So that's one. And as we head towards the weekend... We've got the singles day sale in China, 11-11. So that's going to be interesting to watch out for to see how much consumer spending appetite is going to play out there. Uh, Also, over the weekend, you've got a bit of a meeting, the APEC Economic Leaders Summit. That is potentially a setup for a meeting on the sidelines for US President Joe Biden and his counterpart Xi Jinping. Of course, whatever they say is going to potentially drive the news and markets. Indeed. Time for corporate news. We do it up or down style. And let's take a look at what is happening in Warren Buffett world. All right, Warren Buffett in the news because over the weekend, his company, Berkshire Hathaway, reported his numbers. So by and large, it does look quite okay because he reported a 40% jump in operating earnings. The cash pile also is bigger now to a record $157 billion. And of course, there are a couple of companies that make up the bulk of its portfolio. Just five of them at the top of the list is Apple. Mm -hmm. Uh, The not-so-good news is... A lot of the stocks 
are down in terms of share prices. So valuations-wise, uh, that takes a hit for the Berkshire Hathaway portfolio. But by and large, you know, he is uh, looking okay for this quarter. Mm. Buyback activity continues to slow down, but he is... Um, sitting on a pretty good cash pile for potential deals. Yes, a huge cash pile that seems to be ever-growing pile of cash. Now more than 157 billion US dollars. And Berkshire Hathaway has been putting that cash to work by buying US Treasury bills and taking advantage of their 5% returns. By the way, if you're interested in buying a share of Berkshire Hathaway, a single share it will cost you more than 530 thousand US dollars. Berkshire Hathaway stock is up nearly 25% over the past year. So that's definitely an up for Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway in my book. Let's switch gears now and look at the electric car maker Neo. All right, Neo is going to be a down for me. Uh, of course, this is the Chinese EV maker in a sea of EV makers. You have BYD, which of course is being invested in by Warren Buffett. You've got Tesla. All of them are going through what is likely to be a very tough period ahead. And mm. Neo has described it as intense competition. So likely we are going to see price wars, discounts, and Neo is bracing for that with a 10% cut of his workforce. So, yes, and it plans to do so by the end of this month. The electric vehicle maker is expecting fierce competition and it's going to cut projects that do not contribute to financial performance. Neo shares have lost nearly half of their value over the past three months, so some cost-cutting is probably in order. Given the share price drop, it's hard to give Neo an up-plus side don't like layoffs. So all the same, I wouldn't be surprised to see Neo shares rally on the news. The Singapore-listed company VentureCorp is next on our up or down list. All right, I am looking at Venture and it is going to be a down for me because the numbers are pointing down. And this is where net profit for the nine months this year came in at $203 million. That's down 25% on the back of revenue going down 18.8%. Margins also down 8.9%. So Venture Corp, uh, not looking good. Yeah, Venture Corp is actually an umbrella for 30 companies that work in life sciences, medical devices, imaging technology, and much more. And that all sounds very promising, but Venture Corp's profits are down 25% over the first nine months of the year compared with the year earlier. And the company says demand for its services is soft and share price down nearly 30% since January. So I join you there with that down call. Our last entry today is a REIT, which has 16 logistics properties. Yes, we are talking about Dai House Logistics Trust. Yeah, Daiwa is reporting that distributable income was $27 million for the nine months ended September. Mm-hmm. Good news, it's up 2.2% from the same period last year. And this is supported by some acquisitions it did last year in December. And also it realized foreign exchange gains related to hedges put in place. So all in, you've got net property income, Gross rental income, both of them are up. And this also benefiting from a weaker yen against the Sing dollar. So you've got Daiwa and up for me. Yeah, me too. Daiwa House Logistics Trust netted $27 million in the first nine months of the year. A slight increase from a year earlier that's up. 
2.2%. At a time where many REITs are struggling, this definitely appears to be an up for Daiwa House Logistics Trust. All right, that's it. Your markets in minutes. It's been a blistering couple of minutes. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. Thank you for your company. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A W E D I O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.